me mention to all of our guests that are watching, all of our folks that are overseas, we've got a number, uh, Pastor Anuk was just texting me from India, he's so excited to be here, and the rest of our national directors, which will be here in a couple of weeks for our mission Sunday on the 20th, you won't want to miss that, um, but I want to say hello to everybody that watches us online, and uh, welcome you to our, our service this morning. This um, message this morning, I need help on, of course I need help on all my messages, but I just, I'm so burdened this morning uh, to to magnify the greatness of Jesus uh, in a way that we have not maybe seen or got our brains around. How many of you know if all of us in this room took our corporate understanding of the greatness of Jesus, it would still be a drop in the bucket compared to who he really is? I I mean, we're going to hit some things this morning that are just mind-boggling. So Holy Spirit, your job is to reveal the glory and the beauty and the awesome greatness and majesty of Jesus in our hearts not so we just try to pack them into our heads, but that our hearts are on fire, that our hearts are fully ablaze because we love him and we worship him and we understand at some level the greatness of who it is that we're worshiping. So Lord, let that fire burn in the hearts of your people today. And Lord, help as we unpackage the scriptures, help us to get it in a, in a deeper way than we ever have in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm, for those of you that might be new, I'm, I'm in a, just a two-part series here. One of my passions is Christian worldview. Uh, Christ, the concept of Christian worldview changed my world forever. It took Jesus out of the tiny little Jesus in your heart thing that we often get in church, and it exploded my box that I had grown up putting Jesus in. And it reminded me and taught me that Jesus Christ and Christianity is a comprehensive way of viewing all of reality. Uh, and to the degree that we don't get the the comprehensive nature of the gospel, we will shrink the gospel and it will only be to get people saved and ready for the next life, but it will not have any bearing on what goes on in this life. And how many of you know that would be a tragic uh, attack on the glory and greatness of God? Because there's so much more that the Christian worldview is about. It addresses every scope of reality. It addresses what's happening in our culture right now. And I've chosen the, the, the word unhinged because I can't think of a word that better captures the moral chaos and decline that we're seeing happening in our nation right now. It is rapid decline. And how many of you know the farther you get away from truth, the more irrational the world becomes, the more insane the world becomes. And common sense things that used to be true for all of us in Amer- as Americans are no longer common sense anymore. In fact, uh, the whole thing gets turned upside down. In fact, when you look at this word unhinged or the word hinge itself, a hinge is simply a joint or an object that holds two things together. Another, another definition of a hinge is, is that argument or that one truth upon which everything else rests. And I, I want to touch on both aspects of that definition this morning. The whole idea that to be hinged is to be building our lives on a, uh, a governing principle that, that, that uh, holds everything together and helps everything make sense. And so let's talk about Jesus being the doorway on that hinge. And, and what do doors do? You know, we have doors on our house for a reason. Doors are to keep people out who shouldn't be coming in. Doors are also to help us come and go uh, as we please. They give freedom, but they also bring security. How many of you know Jesus identified himself as the door? And I want to drive this point home. Not a door. Jesus is very politically incorrect, and if I can just say that to, to start here, right? 
If you look at our vision statement here, we're about reviving hearts. Let me tell you what reviving hearts means. Reviving hearts means Jesus Christ can transform any single human being that's ever been born, ever been broken, ever been in bondage to anything. Jesus Christ is big enough to transform them, meaning they don't have to be the way that they were, that he can transform them into somebody new. I have my Uncle Hal sitting back there who for many years was trapped in a homosexual lifestyle. Guess what? He's not trapped in that lifestyle. He met Jesus. He's married to his wonderful wife back there. happens to be Marion's aunt. And he went around the globe telling people the good news that you're not born that way, that Jesus Christ can set you free from that destructive spirit of homosexuality. That is the gospel. And when people tell us, as they do today, that we are not allowed to preach uh, conversion uh, because it damages the uh, homosexual identity, I'm telling you that's a lie from the pit of hell because the very truth of the gospel is Jesus Christ saves and transforms anybody that turns to him. That is controversial. And can I tell you this? To, to be told you cannot tell that to someone is to be told that you cannot love that person. Because the gospel is the good news of great joy for all people. Say that with me. Good news, great joy, all people. In other words, we're not putting a gun to somebody's head like Islam and forcing people to convert or, uh, l- lest we chop their heads off. That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news, great joy for everybody. We're not leaving anybody out. So the good news is Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and Healer. That's our first vision point. How about this for the second vision point? We believe that Jesus restores marriages and families. We believe that marriage is between one man and one woman forever as long as they shall both live. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. Marriage is not same sex. Marriage is not two women. Marriage is not two men. Why? Because Jesus defines marriage. And if you're a part of this church, we believe what he says. That's a little bit controversial today, is it not? So I've already covered two of our vision points. We're already way out of mainstream. Third point, we believe that the gospel should not be kept within the four walls of this church. Because if it's good news and great joy, For all people, it needs to leave, or else we're hogging the good news to ourselves, which means the gospel should go into all four corners of society and touch every single thing that God has created. It should all be touched by Jesus and the gospel and Christians, which means we can't play it safe within the four walls of the church. And how's this for politically incorrect? We believe that the gospel is such good news of great joy for all people that we're going to go into all the nations and we're going to share this good news of great joy because Jesus is so great. He's always told us how this is going to end. There's going to be people from every nation, tribe, and language gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus as the good news of great joy for all people. But you know what? In our culture today, if we actually have the audacity to believe that Jesus is Lord of all people, that Jesus in the kingdom transcends all cultures, that everybody needs to respond to Jesus' good news, that heaven's real and hell's real and Christ is coming and that we better be ready. If we actually believe that and we go, we're guilty of being uh, imperialistic, shoving our views down other people, not accepting other people's culture, all this kind of relativistic, pluralistic nonsense that Jesus and the gospel goes right in the face of. So how many of you know, welcome to the church, not politically correct here, living stones. But can I just say this? We are, we are the church that is Jesus relevant. 
and good news relevant and prosperity relevant in the fullest sense that wherever the gospel goes, it lifts people, it blesses people, it sets people free. That is our message, but can I just drive this point home? That message has always been controversial. And Jesus Christ, when he is preached accurately, is offensive. Yes, he's nice. Yes, he's loving. Yes, baby, sit on his lap. Yes, he's petting the sheep. I know all the pictures. All those things are true. But he's also much bigger than that. He claims things that turn people's worlds upside down. And I, I think we have gotten way too familiar with the Jesus in our minds, the Jesus sometimes we learned in Sunday schools. And, and what I'm going to share with you today should shake us. Because Jesus is much bigger than we think. And my hope is to establish that. In fact, Jesus is the doorway to life and life to the fullest. Have you ever gone back and thought about how you got here? How many of you know we had nothing to say? We had no vote. Nobody went out and put a vote, put money down on the, out there in the foyer and said, I'm putting $10 down on Rose's conception. No, we don't do that. It doesn't work that way. Not a one of us in this room actually uh, consented to being here. All of a sudden, you were one moment you were not, next moment you are. Then you're growing in your mama's womb. And guess what? Humans are really pathetic type creatures because we take nine months to where we can even be ready to function outside of the womb. Do you know like a little deer and, and, and can be born and up running? I mean, I still have my kids living in my house. All right? <laughs> And by the way, I love it, all right? I love it. I'm not trying to push him out, but I'm just saying we raise people, human beings, for like 18 years before we're ready to say. <laughs> My point is this. You're born and conceived in darkness and you had nothing to do with it. Then you come out mama's womb down the birth canal. You're not the cleanest little thing at the time. It's kind of messy. And then the doctor, the first thing, he whacks you on the butt and you let out a scream. I mean, a scream of desperation like, ah, I don't want to be here and I don't like it. All right? That's how you came into the world. You don't have a clue about reality. You don't know nothing. You're just waiting. You hang out for a little while. The, the lights are bright. You're getting you know, ready for this new environment. And then you start screaming again because it's time, feed me, feed me. And you're absolutely dependent upon somebody that's going to stick around and feed you. And then you relieve yourself, and then you repeat the process. <laughs> this goes on for like years. <laughs> so where do we get the idea that somewhere we arrived and we figure this all out by ourselves? That's why I didn't, I didn't talk to Pastor Andrew about doing his message this morning on being self-reliant, but my goodness, we should have the, we should have the uh, perspective that the psalmist had in Psalm 119. He said, I am a stranger on this earth. I mean, you know, if you're a stranger, you're asking for a lot of help. That's the whole humility thing. It's the pride that causes us to think we've arrived or somehow that, that we know what reality is all about. We don't have a clue. We are the epitome of of weakness and total dependence. We're actually ignorant about ultimate reality and we need a guide to help us. And so this is where Jesus comes in and I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ is the designer of what is real. When we speak about reality, what are we talking about? We're talking about what is real, what is true about life. Jesus designs what's real. Let me show you some scripture for this. 
Look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For through him, talking about Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see. He also made the things we can't even see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And look at what this next verse says. Everything, everybody say everything. Everything was created through him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. Now, can we just pause here? That is radical. Every single thing that is finds its source in Jesus. Now, can I just tell you why why evolution is such a demonic attack on the glory of God and on the glory of Jesus' Son? Because evolution has the audacity to suggest that everything that is got here by accident. A mindless, reckless, billion-year process of of random uh, mutations. and and, I mean, I don't know how anybody even believes that stupidity. It is an attack on the greatness and the creative genius of Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is not only your Savior, He designed everything that is. He's smart. I'm standing here right now. My heart's beating. I'm not aware that my heart's beating, but it is. I know it. My brain's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't even understand. My eyes are looking in. Things are coming into focus. I'm looking at smiling faces and all that kind of stuff. David, you got the best smiling. I just love to look at David Santana. He's always smiling. I'm just going to preach right to you this morning, all right? Anyway, I got blood going through all kinds of miles of veins and capillaries. There's stuff going on inside of you and I right now that is stunning down to the micro level. And then we can talk about the expanse. Pastor Dick and I were just talking about one of our favorite passages in Genesis where God just mentions like offhandedly, oh yeah, and he made the stars too. I mean, when you look at the galaxies and the billions of galaxies, and the gazillions of stars. And the Bible just says, oh yeah, he made those two. And the Bible also says he knows them by name. That's Jesus. He's not just the one who gives us fire insurance to save us from hell. He is the foundation of everything that is real. You say, well, pastor, what is, what is Jesus the expert on? Everything. Who's the smartest person who ever walked on planet Earth? Jesus. He made everything that exists, including the structures of society, governments, and all these things. Jesus created all of these things. That's what makes him stunningly awesome. The Bible says, the message translation says, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Look at John chapter 1, verse 3. God created everything through Jesus. And nothing was created except through Jesus. So check this out. I'm going to share something a little radical here. Totally politically incorrect. I can't wait to say it. The foundation of all that is real, of all that exists, is Jesus. And so hear me on this. If he's the foundation of reality, to not know Jesus is to be out of touch with reality. To not know your creator makes you mentally out of touch with reality. It means you're clueless. It means you don't know why you're here. It means you don't know who you are. It means you don't know the one who made you, and you obviously don't know the one who gave his life to save you. 
That's a pretty radical statement. But you know what? It's true. Jesus is the foundation of meaning and of reality. Wherever anything real exists, Jesus is the author and the reason behind it. That is just stunning to me how huge he is. Now check this out. If Jesus is the designer, if we were telling our students at school, Jesus is the reason reality exists, then it naturally follows that he's also the definer, not just the designer, the definer. What do I mean by that? Well, his designing of reality highlights his power, but his defining of reality highlights his wisdom. Here's the point I'm trying to connect today. We're seeing a moral collapse because we've rejected the foundation of reality and we no longer are listening to the one who designed the way things are supposed to work. We live in a culture today where everybody says, well, who says? Well, that's your opinion. Well, that's not my opinion. Well, can I just tell you all something? Whose opinion matters? I'll tell you whose opinion. There's only one opinion that I care to listen to. And that's God's opinion, because he's the foundation of everything that is. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what this person says. I, you shouldn't care what I say. Sometimes I say, Pastor, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. And look, I, I look I'm, not, I'm just up here trying to speak for somebody else, okay? That wasn't Pastor Ron's sermon. I'm trying to quote the Bible to us, all right? I'm trying, I'm trying to get out of the way from the greatness of who God is. There's only one opinion that matters, for believers and for unbelievers for that matter it should be the one who created you and gave you life jesus as the definer of reality means he's the glue that holds it all together look what colossians 1 17 says jesus existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together and this is incredible the atom in your body and the cosmos that we stare at and the greatness of it are all held together by the will of Jesus Christ. I heard some guys talking the other day on the news, and, and th these should be moments where the whole newsroom stops and everybody hits the ground and they just start worshiping. This is what they said, and some, you guys connect some dots with me. This particular atmospheric conditioner, the way the stars are aligning or whatever was going on, this will not happen again for 37 years. Now they just go on like, how does evolution tell you that something's going to happen in the sky 30, exactly 37 years from now? Let me help you all. It can't. But what it screams of is design. How do we know that that's going to happen? Because there is a universe, the word uni means one, that is held together by one reality. His name is God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, that holds it all together and causes everything to be in perfect order. Can I tell you something? All these climate freak-out nut jobs are, I'm sorry, that wasn't. <laughs> climate enthusiasts that are godless are nutcases. We can't even run the post office efficiently, but we're going to fix the problems of global warming by getting rid of plastic straws or something like that. I mean, I just want to say, are you people stupid or what? The, the arrogance that somehow we're going to kill a few cows, keep them from passing gas, and we're going to save the planet. That's, that's what we're going to do. Sounds like a good plan to me. 
or all these people talking about overpopulation, I just want to say, then you line up and get first in the line, we'll take you out first. Oh, you're not that committed to your view, I understand. Because if they're all worried about this, they'd be the first one committing suicide and ending their lives to save the planet and save a few cows along the way maybe too, I don't know. All right, that wasn't in the notes, Connie, I didn't even practice that, I shouldn't. But I get tired of people who think somehow we're going to save the planet because, listen, we weren't supposed to save the planet. We're supposed to steward what God has created and do it as a way that brings him glory and honor, not in this fear-mongering, icebergs melting, polar bears swimming. All right, I got to get off of that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son of God sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. I want you to hear this. The reason everything is holding together right now, including your life, is because the Son of God has determined it to be so, and by the counsel of his will, it stands. If Jesus decides, you know this whole thing about earth, I'm tired of it, I'm tired of the cosmos, and from one moment he decides, ah, maybe not, boom, nothing holds together, it's all gone. That's the power that the Son of God has. That's the, that's the God that we worship. That's the one who saved us. That's the one we submit our lives to. He not only creates it, he defines the way things are supposed to work. Can I get an amen on that? In fact, look at the Good News Bible. In union with him, all things have their proper place. He creates it. He sustains it. In fact, in the Greek, it's even stronger. He himself and no other. In other words, he is the absolute unrivaled authority that keeps the cosmos from becoming total chaos. Now, I just want to share with you a couple of points here to highlight the chaos that's taking place. I just saw this one, and this is just a sampling of what's happening in our nation today. Do you know that at public schools uh, today, if your child is sick and they need an aspirin, maybe they have a headache, I get a call from the school nurse. You've probably been through this. Hey, you know, your child's not feeling well. Can I give them a Tylenol? I say, hey, sure, or no, I don't want that, or whatever, because there's an understanding of authority and parental responsibility. But if your child decides at the public school level that they want a gender reassignment and they're no longer a girl, they want to become a boy, you have no say in that process. Your child cannot get an aspirin, but they can change their identity without parental approval or anything. In fact, in some of the more liberal states, when parents have tried to say, excuse me, but we're not playing this game, it's the parents who are punished for getting involved. And in some states, like California, their children are removed from the house. We're talking about kids as young as four years of age on medication to turn them from one gender into another gender, which, by the way, destroys their ability uh, to procreate. I told you before, I, I know people in this room who have family members who are struggling with this, family members who are struggling with homosexuality, uh, it's everywhere, okay? Because our, as our culture gets more toxic and out of control, it's everywhere. So here's the deal. Please hear nothing but compassion in my heart today for anybody that's struggling with this. This is a terrible thing. Uh, and my heart goes out to anybody that's dealing with this. But can I just tell you something? Why are we seeing more and more and more of this? I'll tell you why. Because Christians are not speaking. And because Christians are not saying, excuse me, what are you doing? You know, there's even a group of people, this just shows you, you know, when, when you separate yourself from ultimate reality and from Jesus, and you begin to go by your feelings, you're going to be whatever you feel like you are. Do you know that there's a group of people today, they call themselves furries? 
furries are people who have decided they want to be another gender. I mean, sorry, another species. So they're people who, th- I, I'm not kidding you, they think, they think that they're cats or dogs. They dress, up, they dress up like a cat. You'll see them at the airport. They'll come up to you on all fours and they'll rub their head on you like they're a cat. And I guess they want to be fed milk or something like that. I don't know what they're, what they're after. I mean, it would be hilarious if it were not the fact that if you treated that person as a person and not a cat, you would be the one that's in trouble. I mean, we have absolute legal chaos going on in our culture right now. Um, this man in California that had, his son was going to go through sex change therapy without his approval, um, they encouraged his daughter to run away, it was actually daughter becoming a boy, encouraged the daughter to run away from home. Um, this is the National Education Association and the human rights campaign that are behind all this. Um, and uh, basically, this guy is having to sue just for pr- protective rights over his own child in the schools. I got another one here uh, that's amazing to me. This is, here's a teacher that was fired because the teacher did not use the right pronoun. Do you know that right now, if you believe in transgender thought, there's over 100 different genders? Some of you are going, my gosh, I struggle with English as it was with you know, he, she, it, and now we got to come up with a hundred different genders, and guess what? In the state of New York, right now, New York City, if you do not call a student by their preferred pronoun, you can be fined up to $250,000. Let me just tell you, folks, this is nuts. This is insanity. I just say, if a, if a person made in the image and likeness of God thinks they're a dog, I would hope that out of love for the person, you would say, you know what, your vision for your life's a little low. <laughs> Y'all remember that children's storybook called The Emperor's New Clothes? <laughs> the genius of that book is somebody finally said this, dude, you're naked. Everybody else was just going, oh, king, we love your clothes, so beautiful. Somebody needs to have the courage to say, you're naked and you're out of touch with reality because we're losing it. This is what happens. How do you know what happens over the pond in Great Britain is usually about 10 years ahead of where we're at here? Let me just tell you what just happened. British court in transgender case, the Bible, defi- Bible belief is, quote, incompatible with human dignity. This man was interrogated at his workplace the Department of Work and Pensions. His boss interrogated him, and this is what his boss asked. And I'm going to ask you this question. Pretend like you're at work and somebody's interrogating you. They ask you this question, one of your superiors. If you have a man, uh, if you have a man six foot tall with a beard who says he wants to be addressed as she and misses, would you do that? This man, of course, said, well, No. It's a man with a beard. I would not address him as she. This man was fired from his job, and the judge ruled that the Bible is incompatible with basic human dignity. How I many you know the Bible is the foundation for human dignity? Before the gospel came on scene, we were incredibly unhinged. But this, this is, and I could go on and on and on and on. So please hear me. If we love people, we don't keep our mouths shut. 
If we love people, we lovingly speak the truth. If we love, let me, let me get off the people level. If we love Jesus, then we speak the truth. And can I just tell you, in our culture today, the front lines of this battle are not right here. I'll be the last one standing, but I'll be standing. The front lines of the battle are out there. I saw another situation where uh, somebody in a public situation was forced. It was a guy that runs a funeral parlor. One of his employees, let's call him Ed. Sorry, Ed, that's what you get for sitting on the front row. (laughs) Ed has been my employee for 15 years. I like Ed. Ed shows up one day as a woman in a dress with lipstick and high heels. Don't go there. It's a bad... (laughs) But Ed now expects me as his boss to speak to him as a she. Now there was a couple problems here because Ed was not hired as a woman. He was hired as a man. And he's also not a woman and can never be a woman even biologically and genetically. That's an impossibility. So the funeral parlor director is going, Ed, I I can see that you're maybe struggling with a few issues. I'm here for you. We want to help. But you cannot come to work looking like that. That funeral parlor director was sued. I mean, you know, truth really matters. And as Christians, we can't just stay here in the four walls of our church singing, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, because that'll work in Sunday school when you're in third grade, but this is not working out there when we need to be declaring Jesus created everything that exists and he has the absolute authority to define the way things work. Well, marriage should be between a man and a woman. Who says? Jesus. Sex should be within the confines of marriage. Who says? Jesus. God created two genders, male and female. Who says? Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Well, you've got to keep your religious arguments in the four walls of the church. Jesus does not fit in religious argument boxes. He defined everything that is. In fact, secular is a word that does not have any meaning in his brain because when everything is created by God, it's all sacred. The sacred secular myth is just that. It's a lie. We live in a God-created universe where Jesus Christ is Lord and King. There's not one square inch of anywhere you go where Jesus doesn't say, this belongs to me. So you tell me what box you want to put Jesus in. But I'll tell you what, when you don't put Jesus in any of those boxes, you might be staring on the end of one of those conversations where somebody who hates God and who hates what you stand for is looking to get a pink slip slit in your wet. And all I'm saying is this, who cares? I'm being real serious here. This is where courage matters. This is where conviction matters. This is where standing up for truth matters. This is where we find that God's our provider. And I'll tell you this, anybody that's part of our family here, you'll not stand alone. I just want to say that loudly and clearly. Anybody that's part of our family here, you will not stand alone. You will have a family to stand with you. But you won't be standing alone. You know, we had a situation here not too long ago. A couple that was coming, I didn't know they were a couple at the time. There were two ladies who were coming to our church and, and experiencing the presence of God in this place. The Holy Spirit was touching them. They were weeping. Um, they were just telling us how changed they were. And they came to our starting point class. And at the starting point class, they asked me a question right after the class was over. Pastor, can we become members here. We're lesbians. I didn't know that. I just saw two nice ladies sitting side by side as friends. I didn't realize that there was sex involved. I said, well, you know what? I think we need to talk about this. 
So why don't we get together later and we'll talk about this. I had Marion come along. We sat in the office. Now let me just tell you, these people have been pastored well. In fact, the one lady told me, she said, I've never had a pastor come up and visit me when I was in the hospital. Um, we went to the hospital. We loved on them. Every time we loved on them. There's no, there was no judgment uh, or anything like that. We loved on them. But the question was this, can we become a member? I mean, you know, membership is not something trite. Membership means that when, when you call yourself a member of Christ's church, that means that you are a visible representation of Jesus and the kingdom on earth. It's not a light thing. The world is supposed to come here and look and get a picture of what heaven's supposed to be like by the way we operate and the way we move and the way we love. And so I, we, we heard their stories we were touched with their stories. Both of them had come from uh, terrible, abusive situations. And, uh, but I said this, you know what? You're welcome to keep worshiping here. We, we accept anybody as they are. You're welcome to worship here. But I said, uh, your marriage is not honored or authorized or endorsed by God Almighty. It's not a marriage. And what you're doing sexually is not blessed by God. In fact, it's forbidden by God. And so to become a member of the church, you're going to need to annul your marriage, quote, which isn't a marriage, but in the, our society today had become a marriage, and you're going to need to abstain from sexual relations with each other because God doesn't bless it. They left the church. But let me just ask you this, what is the church? Who are we? What do we stand for? Is Jesus Lord of what we are here? Does, is Jesus the definer of reality? Does he define your reality? Or are we just an irrelevant social club? And can I tell you why the church is losing across the globe, at least in America, why everybody's leaving churches? Because there's no difference between the church and the local social club as, as far as what it stands for. Our, I was not being mean to those ladies. Here's what I, I was offering hope to those ladies that Christ could heal them. And that the life that they were living was not the best life that Jesus had to offer. You know, the Bible says this. I'm going to go through this quickly. Jesus declares that he is the way. What does that mean? The fact that Jesus is the way means that he is the hinge to life's purpose. If you want to know why you're here and what this is about, you'll never know apart from Jesus. Let me go to that first verse. Trust in the Lord. You've heard this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He will show you which path to take. How I many you know there's lots of pathways that we could stumble upon, but there is a path that is God's path that leads, hear me, that leads to multi, uh, 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 multiplied blessing in your life. Jesus is the way, which means there's not all kinds of ways. There's one way. Isn't that offensive to the modern secular mind? There's one way. Jesus said this, I'm the way. Go to the next verse, quickly. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you. I will watch over you. I mean, you know, this is good news. Young people, listen to me. There is the best pathway for your life. College-age students, there is a best pathway for your life. How, who knows that? The one who created you and designed you and has authority over your life because he brought you into existence and the only person who has the right to dictate who you are and what you're called to do. 
But how many of you know the Creator doesn't dictate in terms of forcing you? He, he brings you into the fullness of who He created you to be. So you don't have to go through like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? Worship Jesus as the designer and source of ultimate reality. Go to the next major point. Jesus is also the truth. And go to that first verse if you would. As the truth, I'm sorry, go back. As the truth, Jesus is the hinge to life's principles. In other words, how are we supposed to live? Who's got the answers? Go ahead and go to that next verse, Megan. Hitting this really quickly here. I have chosen to be faithful, the psalmist says. I have determined to live by your regulations. Can I just mess with you all this morning? If you wanted to find the best path, if Jesus is the source of ultimate reality, and you don't want to be mentally ill and out of touch with reality, and you want the best for your life, and the best is found in living by the regulations, don't you think you would have a heightened interest to read this and to commit it to your memory? You know, it's funny. People say, well, you know, I don't believe in regulations. Do you drive a car? Do you put gas in your car? Do you change the oil? Do you do routine maintenance on the car? Do you make sure there's enough air in the tires of your car? Oh, yeah, you do all those things because you know why? You'll be stranded on the side of the road, Mr. and Mrs. Regulation Denier. Why do you think the God, I'm just going to mess with this right now, why do you think the God who created sex would not know how that would be best expressed for maximum pleasure and fulfillment? Don't you think the one who designed the way all that's supposed to work also defines, has the right to define how it is expressed for maximum enjoyment? Did you hear what I just said in church? For maximum enjoyment? <laughs> my body, my rights, my uterus, my this, my whatever. Oh, shut up. You did nothing for that. You did nothing for that. You inherited one of those. And we used to be able to look at that when you came out and determine what gender you are, but now we're confused. <laughs> and the reason we're confused is because we've rejected God and we're far from his commandments. And we're in great moral darkness, and now we don't know up from down. We don't know man from woman. And we certainly, all of our sex experts out in our culture today, don't know a thing about what it is to experience sexual intimacy the way God created it for maximum pleasure and blessing. But boy, we act like we're so smart. What I'm telling you is this, God made everything through his son, Jesus. And he has absolute authority to tell you how to live. And he tells you how to live and he pleads with you how to live because he does not want us to miss out on life to the fullness. Go to the next verse for me. People don't live by bread alone, Jesus said, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Can I ask you this question? Do you live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God? When the Bible says something, does it settle it for you? Or are you smarter than God? I'm, I'm being true. Do you think you're more in touch? Are you more woke? You're more woke than, than God? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Pastor, well, I don't believe that verse anymore. I'm woke. No, you are, you're a moron. You're more woke than the one who created wokeness. 
Next verse. <laughs> the word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Here's the message. Jesus Christ defines reality. Don't walk in the dark. Next point. He is the life. Here's what that means. Next slide. Jesus is the hinge to life's pleasure. I, I need to just scream this loud and clear. If you want to live the most pleasure-filled, awesome, full, enjoyable on all the things that have true and lasting value, you need to understand who Jesus is and bring your life in alignment with him. If you want to have a great marriage, Jesus. You want to raise great kids, Jesus. You want to live a life that's satisfying, Jesus. You want to move in, in health, Jesus. You want to have proper financial blessing on your life, Jesus. You want to live a life that matters, it's Jesus. You want at the end of your days to grow old with your spouse, having lived a life that impacted lots of people, then find the path that Jesus has for you. Jesus is the answer to living life to the fullest. This is good news we share with the world. We're not strangling people. We're not shoving the gospel down people's throat. This is great news. You're once in darkness. Now you don't have to live in darkness. You once lived for yourself. You were miserable. Now you can live for him. You once were walking around clueless. He's got a path for your life. He wired you. He created you. He designed you. He loved you. He redeemed you. He fashioned you. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end and life forevermore. He's the great one. That's who he is. What do we do? We submit to him. We pursue him. Listen to me. I want to live maximal and maximum pleasure in this life and the life to come. That doesn't mean I'm a hedonist. It doesn't mean I live for sex or drugs or partying or whatever. It means I pursue the one who's the source of pleasure. He designed life. He designed my mind, my heart, my body, my dreams, my desires. Jesus is the source of everything that I am and to know him. To know him is the source of maximum pleasure. That's our pursuit. That's the gospel. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we love our enemies. That's why we tell people made in the image of God, acting like animals, get up off the ground, young lady. You're not a cat. You're a princess made in the image and likeness of God. That's why we tell men, you were not made to have sex with another man. That is an, a, a perversion as to how God designed you and wired you. Quit wallowing in the mud when God has called you to live in freedom. Quit living this way. Stop it. Stop teaching our kids these perversions. Stop teaching our kids all this confusion about who they are. Start telling our boys when they come out of the womb, you're a man of God and you're made in his image and you'll never reach your fullness unless you embrace your masculinity. And the same thing about women. This should be a place where we're, an incubation place where men and women learn what it means to be men and women of God. It's where we hold up the standard and we're proud of it. We honor Christ. We honor the Jesus who came to this earth and took on flesh and blood and was nailed to a cross. He, he, he did that to save us, but he also did it to demonstrate how valuable human beings are made in his image and likeness. 
Our message is good news. If someone told me the Bible is incompatible with human dignity, I hope you would have fire in your spirit to say, you don't even know what you're talking about. The word dignity and the word human have no meaning apart from the creator who fashioned us as humans and who defines what dignity is. Dignity is not living in sin. Dignity is not being twisted by perversion. Dignity means lifting your head up and walking in purity and in truth and in righteousness the way God created you to live and move and have your being. That's what our culture needs to hear today. Let me go to that next verse. I'm wrapping up. This is my fourth closing, I promise. Today I have given you choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. And Moses said, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. And look at he's pleading. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Can I just tell you this today? Oh, that you would choose life, that we would embrace the truth of God's word. I'm concerned about my life. I'm concerned about my seed and my seed seed. I want them moving in the blessing of God. I'm concerned about this nation. If we continue to turn our back on God and embrace this kind of wickedness, I'm telling you God will not stay silent. I'm concerned for our country. We need to be talking this way in church. Most importantly, we need to be talking this way outside of church, bringing hope and healing to people. Go to the next slide right there. Come back to me, the Lord says, and live. What a strong word for America. America, come back to God and live. Look at the next verse. You will show me the path of life. David said, granting me joy of, uh, the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you evermore. I just want to throw this out in closing. If we will live in the paths of the Lord if we'll walk in purity, if we'll believe what God says, if we'll say, Jesus, who am I? Who am I to try to figure this out? If, if the Lord has spoken, thus saith the Lord, end of discussion, and we make the word of God who we are, and we walk in obedience to God, we don't have to have it all figured out. He said he'd be a light unto our feet, one step at a time. If you'll do that, you'll live in the presence of God, and you'll live in the pleasure of God. You will find your life blessed. You will grow old in the Lord. You will look back and you'll say, you know what? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. You'll talk about the goodness of God as your children are surrounding you. You'll talk about the body of Christ as you have had a family here to love you and support you along the way. And we need to be demonstrating the superior greatness of who we are in Christ and of the Christian worldview and not what's happening out in that culture today. There needs to be some courage there needs to be boldness there needs to be people that are willing to say respectfully that's not going to happen in our school system that's not going to happen in my workplace that's not going to happen in our courts we are going to stand up and declare the truth about Jesus being the foundation of reality he is so big he is so mighty he is so authoritative he is so kind but he is a lion and he is not to be trifled with. And the reason he's not to be trifled with is because he loves us. He, he, oh, he wants relationship with us. And he loves you. And he has a path for your life. And he wants you to walk in the blessings that he has ordained for you to walk in. But you've got to put away your rebellion and your pride and your arrogance and your self-reliance and your think you know better than God. And you've got to say, Lord, forgive me. 
you know, I want our leaders to come up, and we want to pray for people this morning. If you're far from God, man, come running back. If you're a young person, you might want to be saying, you know what, I just want some prayer. I want to give my life, my future, my dreams, my desires. I want to give it all to the Lord. I want the pathway that God has for me. If you're here and there's some things that are not right as far as a sexual expression or relationships and those kinds of things, the good news is Jesus can set us free and wash us and cleanse us and make us new people that can live differently. But man, let's not, let's not play with the Lord today. Let's not shrink him. Let's not make him benign and domesticated. He's so much bigger than that. Father, I ask your blessing upon our church family today. Lord, that you'd fill us with courage and conviction. And Lord, where there's repentance, that we would quickly repent and get our hearts back with you. Listen, I, if, you've got, if you've got loved ones in your family that are struggling in these areas, I'm not condemning today. We are throwing out a rope of hope in Jesus. And we want to stand with you and we want to love and we want to do everything in our power to see people restored from the attack of the enemy, whether it's on their gender, whether it's on their bodies, whether it's on their children, whatever it is, we want to see restoration in Jesus' name. So we want to pray. If you have family members that are struggling or trapped in certain lifestyles, we want to stand with you in faith for their freedom. Father, we ask that the power of God Almighty would be released in this place right now, that you meet people right where they're at, and that, Lord, you bring freedom and deliverance this morning. God, we pray for America. God, save our nation. Have mercy on our nation. Bring us back to you, Lord. Bring us back to you, Lord.